0: You're listening to the Sober Awakenings podcast, a show designed to aid you in the journey of recovery and encourage you to embrace living in states of enlightenment and presence. I'm your host, Tim Bernicke. Wherever you find yourself in the journey of spiritual evolution, I hope that this podcast brightens your soul, that you can connect the depths of reality within yourself, and awaken to the insights of transformation. Whether you are struggling in the midst of pain or on the path of recovery, these sober awakening conversations and interviews are here to be a reminder and record of the power of permanent transformation. For this first, really, pilot episode, I decided to spin the whole interview thing on its head. Instead of bringing a guest on, I invited my dear friend, Noha Zahar, to sit down with me in the studio at KBOO Portland for a kind of self interview style discussion. This conversation was recorded back at the end of February before the studio lockdown and social distancing quarantine went into effect. So enjoy a little reminiscence from the past. As you get to know me, your host, a little better. Here is Sober Awakenings pilot episode, a self-interview. All right, all right. Welcome to the podcast, Noha.
1: Thank you, Tim. Yeah, I'm happy to be here with you.
0: So today for our first Sober Awakening, we're actually going to have an interview. A lot of these uh, episodes are going to be interviews. Um, that's the design I have for this podcast and we'll talk a little bit more about that I think uh as we go on in this little interview but today it's a flip um no one's going to interview me so I'm actually going to hand this over to her because uh the whole goal of this is to kind of learn who 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 I am figure out who is this host and what's this podcast going to be about yeah so uh Noah
1: yeah I have lots of questions to you actually So, the first thing I want to ask you about is the name, Sober Awakenings. It's a very interesting name. And why did you choose this name for your uh, podcast?
0: Good question. So, uh, the podcast is about awakenings that happen from sobriety. Uh, My coaching, which is what this is based off of, uh, is on how to how to uh, have insights in your life. Mm -hmm. And these happen from sobriety. So recovery, uh, that's what my coaching is, uh, recovery coaching. And so insight is the mode that we have for providing recovery, providing transformation. And this happens best when one is coming with a clear mind, uh, the sobriety aspect. So kind of bridging the two means there, um, I mean, one can have an awakening moment at any point, really, but they're best facilitated with sobriety.
1: Yeah, that's interesting because here sobriety doesn't only mean being clear from intoxicants, right? But also being clear of your mind intoxicants, not just the literal intoxicants, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean it really in the holistic approach. Yeah. Um, sobriety in terms of every aspect. So this can be from obviously the in- intoxicant aspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you could talk about in terms of health, mm-hmm. a good, clean, healthy diet. Healthy living in general, in terms of how you're organized, your life, um, pursuing productivity over being just lazy, couch potato kind of thing. Um, yeah. We, we want to have movement, uh, progressive movement in our lives. But uh, most importantly, it's internal. Mm-hmm. Like I said, insight, we're, we're literally looking at something that is inside of you yeah. your soul, uh, the heart of who you are as a being. And this is where the true transformation always happens. And this is where really it all begins. Mm -hmm. So uh, with that, you you have a clarity of the inside that has to happen, sobriety uh, inside, not just in terms of what you're doing outside. Uh, And that's that's really what opens one up to the insights and the transformations, the awakenings. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, mashallah, that sounds so good. Uh, So you mentioned earlier um, that you're a coach and this is part of your coaching business. So can you please explain more about that? What exactly do you do? Um, Who are your target clients? Um, And what kind of help do you offer to them?
0: Yeah, so I do coaching for anyone pretty much in recovery. That's my specialty. And recovery can be a broad thing, not just in terms of substance abuse addictions um i mean we can keep talking about addictions in terms of like drug and alcohol but we can also be talking about simple things like over consumption of technology like phone use or mm-hmm. something like that very very simple um but also recovery can be in the form of any troubles that you're having in your life whether it's from relationships depression anxiety um, fears
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah so how do you help people overcome their problems? Like if someone is depressed, then what's your model? How do you help them go through that?
0: Yeah. So I have a model that I use in my coaching program. Um, It's based off of models that I have learned from coaches myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a coach and I have a coach, multiple coaches. So it's a good thing. Uh, But uh, the model I use primarily for, focuses on not me providing anything. Um, There's nothing that I'm going to do to help any client necessarily. Mm -hmm. All all the help is actually there with each person. Each person that comes to me with um, a problem, with a need, they've also come to me with their own solution. Mm -hmm. And my whole goal is to help them realize that they have that with them already to be able to unlock themselves so that they can access that Um, I might be able to give them some insights and some special ideas about how they can do that. But the key to everyone's mental health and success and healing is with them, not with me.
1: Mashallah, that's beautiful. And also it reminds me of the ayah from the Quran, which says that Allah does not change the condition of people until they change their own condition, right? So
0: uh... yeah, that's right. That's actually one of the things I base one of my programs on. Um, so I use the 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 classic twelve step method. Um, that model has been used for well over a hundred years, I think, at this point, mm-hmm. and uh, it's kind of one of the tried and true methods that people of any faith. I mean, Christianity's kind of how it started within Protestantism, and it's branched into all sorts of faiths and no faiths. Um, so I have a a model that looks at that from the Islamic point of view,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, with that, literally the first important, the primary step uh, in that model is the identification of needing help. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, there's some there's a power greater than me, and that I am not capable of overcoming my problem. Addiction, mm-hmm. uh, whatever it is that you've got that you need help with, uh, I'm, I'm not able of overcoming that without help. And so the ayat the Quran that you're just saying uh, about how uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not change the condition of a people until they change that is within them. This mm-hmm. uh, translation uh, from the Arabic there. Uh, what that is reminding us is that true change, for one, comes from God, from Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in order for us to experience that change, we have to recognize that there is something within us that has to change. Mm -hmm. It's not an external thing that happens. We don't go around trying to fix our environment, change relationships, stop doing Something, I mean, yeah, sure, those things will help. Those mm-hmm. can benefit. But the real change, the lasting permanent transformation happens within. And it's kind of that halfway step. Because the, the first part of the ayah is talking about how, yeah, God is the one who does the change. Mm-hmm. But you also have to do something. Yeah. So it's two steps there. Uh, you know, there's the famous saying that uh, when uh, we take one step towards god then he takes two steps towards us
1: mm-hmm. that's right yeah that is so interesting Mashallah. so uh i would love to talk more here about you as a person and um i remember you said earlier um that your program is for any faith uh but also you mentioned that your work is from an islamic point of view so uh do you mind if we talked about your journey to Islam? Because I think this is the most common question that everyone asks when there is a revert convert brother who is coming from a different faith to Islam. So, um, would you please share your story with us?
0: Yeah, thank you. Um, um,
1: uh, sorry, first we would love to know where you're from and um, how did you first uh, how were you first introduced to Islam. And what inspired you to start doing what you're doing, which is a great work.
0: Well, thank you. Alhamdulillah. All praise is due to, to God on all of this. Um, I am from the Pacific Northwest. Uh, we, we're here in the studios in Portland, Oregon, which is where I came to Islam uh, about three years ago. Alhamdulillah. Um, but I'm originally from North Idaho. Um, grew up there and spent pretty much most of my first two decades in that, uh, region, uh, before moving first to Seattle and then down here and then kind of back and forth a bit. And yeah, I've pretty much settled here uh, right now, which is great. Um, but yeah, I'm very much a child of the Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's my kind of home turf, my hood. I love it here. Um... Grew up in a Christian Protestant family. I uh, was very much involved in Christianity, not just in terms of being raised in it, but being a very much in a family that participated. And uh, they were, in a way, also like community leaders a bit, too. I mean, I think that's definitely a bit of what led me into coaching in the first place. M- my parents, to this day, Um, work actively with uh, Union Gospel Mission, which works with getting people out of addiction, um, out of problems of like homelessness and bad relationships. They often work in 12-step modeling themselves. So this has been something that um, I've been familiar with from a very early age, not just uh, new to right now. Uh, But it's an interesting thing because as I grew up and transitioned throughout my life, um i went to university studied actually a bit of religion there even though music was my focus um and in my religious studies it kind of had the crisis of faith that sometimes happens to people who are in their 20s uh and at that point i kind of decided that christianity wasn't for me it wasn't that i disbelieved in god um i actually held that dear to my heart throughout my entire life uh i just felt that the practice um and perhaps some of the creedal aspects didn't quite align with what i felt was the innate truths that i believed or could find support for in um, scriptures themselves so from that point i kind of progressed for a few years um exploring judaism um, exploring philosophy and different aspects of humanism, Buddhism, uh, a few other religions as well, but ended in a kind of very dark and depressed state. Um, I had a early marriage that ended in divorce, and I also became involved very much in activism, had burnout, and then became addicted myself to the very things that earlier in my life, I was very much helping people mm-hmm. overcome. So uh, it's an interesting thing how that happened. Uh, and then coming to find Islam, it's one of those things I'd studied every religion except Islam. and It had been some, one of those things that had always been kind of at the back of my mind. It's like, Tim, one of these days, you got to look at Islam. Uh, I I had Muslim uh, dorm mates uh, when I went to university and learned very little from them other than that, well, what you see on the news and stuff like post 9-11, all the Mm -hmm. very uh, anti-Islam media spin just wasn't the truth. I mean, it was very easy for me to tell that from just meeting one Muslim. Mm -hmm. who wasn't even really that practicing um but i never really got into what the religion was i mean i took a world of religions class even at university and i mean we studied kind of basic aspects but i forgot most of that because at the time i didn't find it that interesting um i think at the time to be honest i think i was looking more at buddhism uh than uh than anything um so Yeah, it it finally was actually when I was going through pretty much the roughest time post-divorce and wanting to really start over. I wanted to go back to how I felt when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. kind of the innocence of a simple belief in God and a simple practice. I kind of spent some time going back through what I believed to be revealed scriptures uh, and trying to find the core truths from that that seemed to resonate with me in terms of worship practice and belief. And then I decided, okay, you know, I've, I've never looked at Islam. Let's finally do that. And it didn't take more than about two weeks. Um, Once you finally get into researching it and breaking through the... The anti-Islam stuff that's the first thing you'll find when you go to Google. Mm -hmm. For the most part, at least. And actually listening to a Muslim talk about their religion. Uh, And like I said, it took about two weeks. And I was convinced that that's the truth. And it's really just been um, a blessing and a benefit since then. Mm -hmm. I mean, you always talk about when you make a conversion that there's the peace Mm -hmm. that comes. Uh, And... Peace is true. It's definitely there. It has been. (laughs) Alhamdulillah. Uh, But the the peace comes from love. Mm -hmm. Love is the most important part of our religion uh, because it's the quality of God, uh, the mercy, uh, unconditional love. And this is really what Islam is all about. I mean, I'm not here today to give theology, mm-hmm. talk about that, but that that's really what brought me into the religion because these are the truths that matter and understanding that is the most important thing. Um, I also met one of my first coaches around this time and uh, with some of his guidance in terms, not just in terms of coaching and recovery for myself, but uh, in terms of, uh, you could say, spiritual counsel too um just it it was easy to get into the faith uh kind of jumping in with both feet and diving in very deep mm-hmm. so i'm very grateful for all of that and i mean if if you're someone out there listening who's never um looked into islam uh i would just say don't don't believe everything that you hear on the television mm-hmm. uh and uh go and go ahead and don't be afraid to keep listening because we'll talk about that here and there. um, I don't think just in terms of this podcast your sober awakenings we're not we're not just gonna be focused on Islam. I don't focus my coaching purely on Islam, and I don't take only Muslim clients mm-hmm. um, I' definitely help Muslims as best I can uh, but if anyone's in need, then I'm gonna pull them in because the truths that uh we're talking about here branch beyond religion and i do my best most of the time to try to convey them in as free language as possible mm-hmm. um i don't try to bind it to islam using just islamic uh terminology i try to use most as, as much universal terms as possible because all the all the truths are universal truths mm-hmm. so it doesn't matter whether you're coming from a christian a buddhist a hindu Jewish perspective um, or non-religious at all, uh, these truths will resonate you regar- with you, regardlessly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Um, okay, uh, I have a question about your model of coaching, and um, so you said it's all about the clients doing the work themselves. They are the ones who change from inside. So can you elaborate more on that? So what's your job as a coach? What's, what do you do?
0: Yeah, so the clients don't actually have to do that much work. I, I actually like to think of it as doing no work.
2: Mm-hmm. It, it,
0: it's the recovery model that is the most simple. There's so little that has to be done. Um uh, Let me explain it this way by uh, explaining, like you said, uh, wanting to know a bit more about the model itself. Mm -hmm. So in short, um, all of your perception of reality comes via what we like to call the conscious mind um, or subconscious mind. You just call it mind if you want or consciousness um, or thought. Perhaps Um, there's a lot of words we could use, but it's this idea that there is a awareness within you that goes beyond. And I mean, there's a lot of different people that are out there that try to explore this. and We don't have answers to it exactly. Um, Spirituality, religion can give you some answers. Um, Science can try to give you some answers. None of them necessarily truly tap into it in its entirety, but the short is, is that it exists. It's there. And it's important to realize because this is a foundational principle from which we can actually build an entire psychology from, uh, a, a full grounded practice. You know how we have laws in science of like gravity, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. And this is basically what it is for psychology. Uh, It's a grounding principle to derive your entire practice from. So because all of your experience comes through this, you're you're living in basically your own world all of the time. Uh, you're, You're in your own world. I'm in my own world. You listening to this right now are in your own world. You're going to be perceiving this through your ears primarily because this is a podcast you've got your headphones plugged in yeah, you've got this on iTunes queued up and you're listening and so it's going through your ears into your head and it's being processed via the power of your your consciousness your awareness this then filters it and feeds it back to you in a particular way so maybe one word I'm saying stands out to you. Or maybe it's kind of going in one ear, out another ear, just depending on how you are in the moment. And that's the important thing is because every moment is different. We're not always aware. We're particularly not always aware that this is how we're perceiving things. This is the grounding foundational principle for life, for for our existence. Because this is actually truly how our existence is recognized by us and so once this is understood it's a lot easier to actually look at the rest of the world and understand how it's happening and how it's happening in relation to us for example the primary issues that people struggle with the addictions relationships uh, anxiety and let's just look at a couple of those real quick So, like, in terms of addiction, well, this is something that you're doing to yourself. Often you're doing it because you think that if I have this drink, if I smoke this joint, if I shoot up, then this is going to put me in a state where probably I'm going to feel happy or, well, like with alcohol, that one's more of uh, a depressant. Maybe I'm gonna, not going to feel as good. Maybe I'm going to forget some sort of thing. Um, so you're you're trying to put yourself into a certain state. You're doing it through a chemical substance. Um, in terms of relationships, you're doing this through more of a psychological means. You're trying to find a partner. Often, in terms of like romantic relationships where that person provides a certain need for you, or meets a certain need that you need fulfilled. And this can happen outside of romantic relationships, too, in just everyday ordinary relationships, platonic, familial, however you want to look at it. We often see them as providing a certain type of need that we're lacking. So when we look at this in terms of the grounding principle of how we're perceiving everything through our awareness, well the the relationship that we're having the drink that we're sipping um these these things are only providing that to pacify our thought about the topic so we've actually created the idea in the first place it's not actually something that existed until we created it. The need itself was something that was created because of our perception of awareness. And so that's the important thing to recognize right there. And I I might be getting a deep here. This is not a coaching session. Mm-hmm. So I'm just trying to explain this probably way more detailed than necessary. Okay,
1: but I have a question here. Isn't okay. the need something that already exists in you? Like you're created, God created us this way as human beings with needs that needs to be fulfilled. You're saying that our mind creates the need. It means that we don't need anything. So don't we get hungry? Don't we get thirsty? Don't we when we do something good, don't we want to be appreciated for that as human beings?
0: That's good. That's good. Um, There are obviously some certain things that are needed. We obviously need food in order to survive. Uh, We need sleep Mm -hmm. in order to survive. Uh, There are a few things like that that are certain needs. Some of these other things, though, are they necessarily needs? And that's something that should be looked at. Because in order for us to survive, we probably don't necessarily have to take a drink. We probably don't necessarily have to be in a particular relationship. Mm -hmm. Those are more of desires.
1: Well, that's interesting because um, there is this famous um, scientist whose name is Maslow and he made this pyramid of needs and he starts from the base of the pyramids going up by the needs of the human being. And yes, he started talking about the basic needs like the need for food and drink and sleep. And the more he goes up the more the need becomes, like, more abstract, like the need for being appreciated, the need for uh, being in a relationship, um, the need for achieving something so that you'll be recognized by your achievement.
0: Yeah, and the key word you said there is abstract. Mm -hmm. The abstraction is, by its nature, a thing that our consciousness does. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So... If you're looking at the things of, like, food and sleep, those are not abstractions. Mm -hmm. Those are very grounded realities. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking at the other things, no, this is an abstraction. This is, like I said, it's already something that is created. So you're creating the desire. I'm not going to say need here. You're creating the desire which maybe you're thinking of as a need. And then what happens with that is that you feel all these different things and you think all these different thoughts about it. And you create this entire concept around this literally fantasy that you've created. With that, you then do all these different things. So the important thing to recognize, and I'm really, I'm sorry, to break this down kind of so simply, right now and say this so fast because often in the coaching I elaborate a lot more Mm -hmm. and we're not in coaching session but I digress the thing to recognize is that all of this is a creation that we've made in our own minds let me explain the desire for whatever it is and the attempt to fulfill that desire by extension The desire itself was the first creation, and then we work off of that creation continually. So ultimately, the goal in recovery is first to recognize that this is happening. With that, the insights about what you're doing occur naturally, and then you start recognizing, oh, I'm creating this thought. This thought's being created. And then slowly you can start to recognize that, okay, I don't necessarily have to do anything about this. I can just let this idea pass. Maybe this one here, oh, this is a good desire. Maybe let's go with this desire and see. The main thing is to recognize is that we have within us this beautiful, powerful, creative force, and that we can use it to our own detriment and destruction, and we can use it to our own magnificence and betterment. And once we understand this foundational principle and all of the ramifications that come with it, insights just happen naturally. And you can literally go anywhere with it. Mm-hmm. There is literally no glass ceiling to the transformations that can happen. I mean, I I first kind of unlocked this awareness just over three years ago. And I know for a fact I haven't even been Gun to tap the juices of what this is,
1: so what do you think about the effect of the environment on the person so you're saying the thought we created in our own mind, but what about like in the world that we live in, the world of social media, and you see all these pictures on Instagram of people traveling going by the beach, uh drinking juice, and taking pictures, and then you'll be you'll feel kind of a peer pressure somehow like yeah i want to travel to this island i want to do the same i want to take this selfie and post it and tell everyone look how i'm happy and enjoying and doing this and that so what do you think is the effect of the environment and how is this related to what you're talking about our mind is the thing that creates the idea
0: so I, i can answer this very easily Uh, and it's one of those things that if you just actually look at it, the answer will come to you as well. Um, One of the early 12-step coaches that I had was the famous or infamous Russell Brand, Mm -hmm. uh, comedian from the UK, actor-comedian. And when you look at someone who's in a position like he is, someone who's been through the Hollywood circuit, met tons of famous people, had access to all of the things imaginable, basically. And at the end of it, he finds himself completely depressed and recognizing that none of it is actually fulfilling any of the desires that he had had then it's quite easy to see that the environment has absolutely nothing to do with what you're talking about and any any famous most of your famous like rich millionaires billionaires they'll say the exact same things is that all the money all the wealth all the power prestige does nothing
1: yeah, it's like Jim Carrey says, I want everyone to be famous and rich so that they know that this is not the answer. Yeah. Right?
0: Oh, exactly like that.
1: So you're saying that I can go to the Maldives and be lying by the beach, drinking my juice, taking the selfie, but still I'm not happy.
0: Most of the people who do that, mm-hmm. if you've been around them, you you know that they're actually just completely depressed and a wreck and they're doing most of the stuff to try to put off an image.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, mm-hmm. not all of them are that way, but... Probably the vast majority of them are. That's right. It's that kind of whole Instagram culture. And you'll have that in YouTube or any kind of social media platform. It's all marketing. Mm-hmm. And marketing by its nature is deceptive. And it's trying to put off a certain image. You're trying to sell something.
1: Yeah, and it's creating this fake needs, what you call desires. Yes, so it, it it, but it's based
0: in the desire itself. And so what... What my coaching model does is it breaks that down, is it's recognizing that the desire itself is a creation. Because if you don't recognize that, then you're automatically going to be stuck with trying to figure out how to appease that desire. But when you recognize that the desire itself is your own creation and that you can uncreate it or just ignore it if you want to, then you regain your own innate power and independence and autonomy. Mm -hmm. You're not bound to that desire. And that's really the uh, whole goal of a recovery program. Many of them, um, uh, other programs that are out there, they will look at things like replacement or changing your environment, changing your behavior. So like behavior modification, um, uh, uh environment ad- adaptation or optimization um, or just trying to fulfill the desire in a different way like replacement desire replacement kind of things so looks like oh so you were uh drinking before so let's let's change that so no longer are you gonna do that you're gonna maybe go do sports drinks instead kind of thing. Your energy drinks or smoothies, yeah, or your new fad and kind of thing, it's a replacement kind of thing. And, you know, just just examples. I'm not saying those models don't have success, those models are more apt to cause relapse because they're not actually addressing the root of the cause. It's like putting a band aid over a wound
2: mm-hmm.
1: and
0: saying, Okay, it's all healed. No, you actually have to give it the medicine so that it heals.
1: So you're saying medicine rather than replacement.
0: Oh, certainly. Okay. Yeah.
1: But I have a question here. Like if someone is having a drinking problem, so you advise them not to sit in groups of people who drink anymore. So they should change their environment.
0: Sure. And we. we I will be looking at that with people in my coaching. When okay. we're doing one-on-one coaching, part of – My plans that I have for them is working on how to optimize their environment.
1: Okay, so don't you think that— But this is
0: secondary to figuring out and actually becoming aware of the principle that the entire environment is perceived through their consciousness, their awareness, and that because of that, the desire itself, the need, air quotes here, is something that they have themselves created. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that that's a right thing or a wrong thing. Those desires, those thoughts, those creations are neutral until you act upon them. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: When you act upon them, they can be harmful or they can be beneficial.
1: Yeah, so you're saying before doing that, like before, because if you ask them to change their environment, then there should be a replacement for that, right? But this comes second. So come at second. First, that's correct. First, you yeah. ask them to change the way they think. right? Yeah. You
0: work first on. Well, I'm not saying change the way you think, because you're going to be thinking. This is actually really important, <laughs> mm-hmm. because you. I'm not. I'm definitely not saying control your thoughts. We're, we're not talking neuro linguistic programming here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm. I'm not also saying that that's bad, because there's a lot of useful elements that are in NLP. You can utilize that sort of things to help make yourself more focused on certain things but the root of it is that because this is how you're created because this is a principle of reality a principle of psychology we now know how you operate we know now your basic psychology and this is going to work for pretty much everyone who is of sound mind or unsound mind, really, <laughs> uh, because this is how you can either have or lose sound mind, too. Um, so, I mean, people with mental health issues, once they're able to understand it, it might be harder for some of them. But once they're able to understand it, it actually helps their mental health mm-hmm. go back to sanity. I mean, I'm not the only one who uses this model of coaching. Mm-hmm. We've we've seen people with complete mental health issues, paranoia, schizophrenia, go from mental health crises to full, stable mental health in an instant.
1: With no medications?
0: Yeah. I mean, you can wean yourself off medication or you can just... It, it, it's about that insight. The insight happens within. When that clicks... I can't tell you when it's going to happen for any client, but when it but clicks, you're there. You're healed instantly.
1: But there are some serious mental health issues that need medicine and stuff. So Sure. I don't because I,
0: I, I don't do this without consultation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, if you're someone who has mental health issues and you're on medication already, I'm not going to tell you to drop that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You got to do that in consultation with your specialist in that. Okay. That that's a requirement. Yeah. Yeah. What I'm going to help you do is work with you to get you to sound mental health,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and that's not going to be through that medication. That medication may help you, it may harm you. I don't. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But that's not the 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 key to it. It's not going to solve the internal issue, the psychological issue, the understanding.
1: Yeah. So you're going to help people work on their inner world, as you explained it earlier. And uh, there is something that I heard you share before that I would love to share because it really stood out for me. And I I remembered it when you were sharing that everyone have their own world that's inside their mind, from which everything, all the thoughts, all the needs and the desires are created. And this reminded me of the Eya. Alhamdulillahi uh, Rabbil which we say every day and in English it's the uh, thank God, the Lord of the worlds and usually when we think of the Lord of the worlds we think of the universes or the multi-universe but we never think of it in the way of the Lord of the worlds of every and each individual because everyone has their own world, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. Everyone's operating from their own unique perspective. And and every perspective, whether it's from a sound mental perspective or an unsound mental perspective, is a valid perspective because that's their own world.
1: So this is where you start. Yeah. This is where you have them start to look inside their own world rather than look outside. Regardless
0: of whether you even understand it or not,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: knowing that everyone comes from their own unique perspective, which uh, generally is accepted in psychology today. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of something that we've had innately in Islam for almost fifteen hundred years and psychology now is just kind of understanding that everyone has their own unique perspective. Um but yeah the validity of validity of individual realities um is is very much a truth. Mm-hmm. And it's one that will naturally lead you to have more compassion upon humanity Mm -hmm. because you know that their perspective for them is reality whether it matches with you or clashes with you i mean that's that's them that's who they are
1: that's their world it's
0: exactly it's their world Mm
1: -hmm.
0: so you have to try to meet them somewhere and encourage them and try to help them how you can
1: yeah so to what extent do you think you're Christian background helped you understand Islam, and do you find that um, Christianity and Islam are walking hand-in-hand, hand, or are they?
0: Um maybe maybe let's try to do this one bit at a time. <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, I'm going to start with the what part of Christianity kind of helped me with Islam? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so.
1: So f- first of all, do you think that being from a Christian background helped you become Muslim? Like, is it certainly okay?
0: Yeah, it definitely helped me become Muslim. I mean, Christianity and Islam have so much in common. I mean, in terms of every religion, every religion has much more in common than they don't have in common. <laughs> Just for the fact that they're a religion, they believe in God. I mean, that's the most important thing. Now, your theology about God, what you believe ab- about him, it, her, whatever you're saying, um, whatever you believe about God may differ. Christianity, Judaism, Islam, they're all known to be from the family of monotheistic religions. So
1: They're called the Abrahamic faiths, or right? Abrahamic faiths, yeah. that's another
0: word that's used, yeah. But um, monotheistic religion are basically the uh, th- that's kind of the trifecta right there Judaism, Christianity, Islam so Christianity, Islam, both monotheistic how they view monotheism is s- slightly different um, but that's a really important thing and a key thing so for me that was a pretty easy transition both monotheism, my understanding of monotheism within Christianity fit well with my understanding of with Islam's understanding of monotheism. Um, they both share similar histories. I mean, kind of historically, you're looking at Judaism starting, Christianity evolving out of Judaism, and then Islam kind of evolving out of both in a way. Um, I mean, it, it traces its history back if you read its. If you read each of their scriptures, you can't read Christianity without reading the Jewish scriptures. And you really can't read Islam without reading both the Christian and the Jewish scriptures as well, because mm-hmm. they both play upon each other so much. Um so it's it's really the transition is simple to be honest. Uh it just, usually just comes from lack of understanding, or lack of education. Um
1: So what's your favorite aspect in the Islamic religion? Like, usually people ask this question to converts, like, what is the most thing that you find attractive about the religion of Islam?
0: Yeah, actually, this is good because this goes into what I actually used as kind of my criteria for when I was looking into Islam. Monotheism obviously was a big one. I wanted to understand Islam's perspective on that, and it fit perfectly to me. it It explained monotheism in better ways than I felt Christianity was explaining it. The other things were the uh worship aspects so in terms of worship I th- was very strongly believing that prayer and fasting were key elements uh, key what would we call like spiritual disciplines that were important in either a daily or just a regularly scheduled practice of, of of worship um so an idea of worship that's obviously the one if if you have a belief in god you're going to have some sort of belief in a, a, a practice of worship yeah that's the scientific understandings of um uh what's it called um religion and cult basically um, the, the cult is the practice that comes up that's mm-hmm. built around the religion when, Not cult as in, like, (laughs) pagan religion or something like that. I'm using the scientific term here. Um, So, yeah, like I said, with that, the prayer and the fasting were really two key elements for me. And as I was looking at Islam, I felt that it really established a a practice of prayer and a practice of fasting that was much more beneficial to me uh and it felt it it felt like it felt like it was I was at home with the practice i mean i i hadn't de- I didn't even go to a mosque for the first year basically I was a Muslim um i I did it all on my own uh trying to learn and understand it And whether I was at a mosque or not at a mosque, it it felt right. Mm -hmm. And that's an important thing just for it to innately feel right. Um, So, yeah, that's definitely a big aspect of it right there. I mean, there's more to the religion than just those things. But, I mean, if you know anything about Islam, you kind of know that there's like the main five pillars. Mm -hmm. And monotheism, prayer, and fasting are three of the five. So that's basically it right there. So it's kind of funny that I I was looking at those three things as kind of like my core criteria. So I was already three-fifths Muslim (laughs) before I even knew anything about Islam (laughs) anyway, which is, I mean, that's one of the things that we say in Islam is that everyone is born Muslim. Mm -hmm. uh, And it's kind of their environment, um, maybe their families or wherever it is that kind of takes them away from that. Mm-hmm. And it's been very easy for you to come back to it. Alhamdulillah. And it's, it's like how I felt is that I felt like I was coming back. I felt like I was searching for a way to come back to how I was as a kid.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah, alhamdulillah. Um, okay, so do you have a favorite verse from the Quran? I know this is a hard question.
0: That's a really hard question. I could say something really generic like Ethel Kursi or Ithel Nur
2: mm-hmm.
0: I'm also a bit of a nerd so I might pick other weird ayahs um <laughs> like obviously having been a Christian I really enjoy a lot of the ayahs about um about Jesus that are in the Quran um you know actually that's that's probably what I'm going to pick. There's a really good one in Sodom Uh And I'm not going to remember it word for word, but it's basically, it's, it's Jesus' answer when he's asked who he is, or he's kind of first defending himself and his mother mm-hmm. as well uh, in, the, in the passage. And he's saying that um, I am a servant of God. Uh, I am humble and obedient to my parents um, Yeah, and I don't remember all of it but it's, it's that's definitely one of my favorite mm-hmm. ones right there because it's kind of a goal that we're all supposed to strive for I mean Islam's goal is to that we, we're all created as representatives of God mm-hmm. here on earth and the prophets whether it's Muhammad peace and blessings be upon him uh, whether it's jesus David, Abraham Moses, adam um all the prophets are the perfect embodiments of what it's like to be a human and so our goal today as practices practice practitioners of the religion uh it's to try to live as best as we can in the footsteps of the prophets. And then the final prophet, obviously, being the closest to who we are today, the one we have the most information about, being the best example then for us today as to how we're supposed to live. Mm -hmm. Um, But then obviously the stories of the other prophets being guides for us too, uh, which is why um, the Quran has so many stories about there are, there are prophets, which you will also find in the earlier scriptures. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's the entire model. I mean, one of the first prophets that's mentioned, the first prophet that was mentioned in the revelation of the Quran is the prophet Jonah, Eunice. Mm-hmm. Eunice. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's that story right there. So we're supposed to learn from the lives of the prophets and become imagers of God representatives of God through the example of the prophets.
1: Yeah. So how was your introduction to the Quran? Did you listen to a verse or did you just decide to get the whole book and start reading from the beginning? That's a really good
0: question. Um, So I actually came to Islam without having ever read the Quran. obviously I was exposed to a verse here and there to get an idea of what the Quran said, but I didn't know context, I didn't know history of how it was compiled how the revelation occurred Um, I didn't know any of that Uh, And so three months four months or so after I convert, uh, first Ramadan comes around, and I'm like, okay, you know I haven't read the Quran yet, I should probably do that Um, and Ramadan is kind of the festival celebrating the revelation of the Quran. And so it was an appropriate time. And so I read through the Quran for the first time during my first Ramadan. Finished it in the month. Alhamdulillah. And that was the first time I had actually uh, truly had an encounter with the Islamic scripture. And... For one who grew up not just reading um let's say the bible Jewish christian scriptures um, it was the same voice um, it was different naturally um but it's the same voice yeah there's there's so many the
1: same source
0: yeah it's, it's it's the the phrases the ideas behind them um it's the same concepts and stuff that's being talked about Uh, there's so many places that i would read and was like oh that's the exact same thing that's being talked about in such and such a passage Mm -hmm. or i'd have i'd I'd read something and another verse would come to me and i mean there's, there's plenty of scholars out there who have done comparisons and broken down verse by verse like how it kind of goes back to references in other places and things and And obviously those who are not Muslim often pick it apart and say, oh, well, it's just coming from these things. But um, Mm -hmm. this is the beautiful nature of the book. It's delivered to someone who was illiterate, who had no knowledge or true access to the other scriptures. People around him did, but not him directly. to be able to have created something like that on his own in that amount of time completely impossible and just the way that it's written I mean I am learning Arabic currently that's one of my uh current goals um but it it's absolutely beautiful and just miraculous
1: yeah so it's interesting that you're learning Arabic. So can you tell me more about that? Do you have any plans to continue learning about Islam? Do you have any travel plans? Um, so you said that you traveled here in the U.S. between North Idaho, Seattle, Portland. Have you traveled overseas? And do you have any plans to travel to do further studies or for business or for just to spend a vacation? Or? Tell me more about traveling.
0: Yeah, I love traveling. Um, one of my joys growing up as a kid with my parents was that we would go on long road trips um, for a week or more sometimes, or even just a weekend. Um, whether it was with just my immediate family, or whether it was with relatives and stuff too. Um, I was always fun. So I mean, we'd go up and down the West Coast. Uh, up have Canada often as a kid, um, just get out of the town and things too, just go out camping or however. So travel, I think, is in my blood because of that, so mm-hmm. that's a big thanks to my parents. Even if they're not ones that like to travel themselves, they've encouraged it in me and, and my brother a bit too. I, I know he enjoys it quite a lot. Um, My first travel abroad, well, obviously Canada as a kid, but uh, I went down to Costa Rica when I was in university for an international music conference and festival. Um, I was sick for most of it, but it was good to experience foreign culture, Um, the Central America there. I mean, we we went, obviously, to the capital for the conference. And it was good because not only were we there um and with host families and stuff, but there was it was because it was an international conference, there was a lot of other cultures that were coming in at the same time. Um, particularly uh Asian and um Pacific Island um cultures. So that was really really cool experience. Um, and then for another part of that trip we were down by the uh, Panama border and to see the more rural side of the country as well have to get an idea because there's definitely, I mean, you see this in America today, especially how there's a big kind of rural versus urban divide. Um, not that Portland here is that big of a city, it happens to be the biggest in, Port- in <laughs>
2: the biggest in <laughs> Oregon,
0: um, but it's very different here culturally in Portland than, say, it would be over on the east side uh, of the state like Pendleton or something like that Um, so that's that's very much an important thing to be able to get a taste for both environments Uh, and then yeah after I came to Islam um, I got invited to go out to Turkey for a while to study that was a great experience Um, so I explored a bit in Turkey while I was there Also got the opportunity to see a difference between kind of urban versus rural. Um, Excellent place. If you ever go to Istanbul, you cannot help but falling in love with that city. Um, Remarkable place. I would easily go back. Um, Also had a wonderful opportunity to go to Egypt last year. Um, I'd love to go back to both places. There's a lot of great things there. And in terms of like knowledge, where I want to go with in terms of Islam. uh, I mean, I'm open to anything. Arabic is like the goal I'm working on right now, which has been awesome because I started uh, back when I was at university myself studying religion. We had the opportunity to learn biblical languages. And so I did a little bit of work in the Greek, but my focus was on the Hebrew. Um, And Hebrew and Arabic, both being Semitic languages, have so much in common, not just in terms of like, basic root structures to how the languages exist uh, on their fundamental levels, but grammatically um, and stuff. So uh, it makes Arabic a lot easier for me, probably, than it would for someone just starting out. Um, And, I mean, I also at a young age with my my parents, my mom kind of got us a good ear for learning language uh, by trying to teach us French from a very young age, and haven't kept up with that at all but Mm uh yeah languages if i dedicate time to them i think honestly with anyone um it's easy to, to do but i'm i'm very grateful to not have it as something that's too difficult for me at least at this point in my life so becoming more fluent not just in terms of reading arabic but speaking would be good and i'll appreciate that and Since I did enjoy Turkey, Turkish should probably be on the bucket list as well. Um, Yeah, I mean, I, you know, like I said, in terms of, like, coaching, there's no glass ceiling. Mm -hmm. So I shouldn't limit myself in terms of pursuits. I don't like to do that. I'm happy to travel many places. I was just sitting with a friend earlier today who just got back from two months in Malaysia and Thailand. And... Um, it really inspired me to <laughs> want to go travel some more because all the beautiful things he was sh- sharing and not just uh, in terms of what he was talking about and little trinkets he'd brought back and pictures and all that stuff. So there's there's a whole world out there.
1: Yeah. You
0: know, we're talking about individuals having their own little worlds. Well, there's people all over this planet. Yeah. So that's, what, $8.5 Worlds there are to explore in yeah. terms of the people that are out there, and then by extension, all of the things that they have created.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, music. and that's not that's music. And sure, this is one yeah. thing I want to talk with you about. Okay, yeah. So you said you studied music in university, and you went to Costa Rica for a music conference. Yeah. Um, and now that you're a Muslim, and you know that music is a controversial issue in Islam, so what do you think about that? And how's your relationship with music now? um
0: yeah yeah great question so um I'll start with like my history I grew up in a very musical family um my dad was a music educator for a while and then uh he taught me and my brother just I mean basics of music playing the piano starting on little recorders things like that when we were very young um I transitioned into wanting to play orchestral instruments uh, my dad took us to the opening of a new high school in town one day, and we had one of the I think it was the naval the naval uh, woodwind quintet that was like doing the, the christening of the new music building auditorium uh, that they had there. And so uh, quintets they'll have in them flute, oboe, clarinet, bassoon, and a French horn. And so they'll they'll play together in their ensemble, and then they all would come up and do individual little solos and stuff. And uh, the bassoonist really stood out to me, and I was told my dad afterwards, "That's the instrument I want to play right there." And he's like, "No way," because he knew, <laughs> having been a musician and himself, how expensive they could be. Uh, and I was like, right, "Let's get you a clarinet instead to start with something a little easier and more affordable." So I played clarinet for a few years, and then my clarinet teacher was able to find access to a bassoon for me, and I stopped taking lessons from him shortly thereafter because I loved the bassoon much more. Stuck with that for well over a decade, and played in a number of different orchestras on local and broader levels. Um, So, yeah, it was great i i don't regret that at all i absolutely love it um i i wish i had actually done more with it to be honest because now that i'm in islam and you're right the islam in music at least today there's a bit of controversy with it it's not particular the the perspective of scholars in our religion is divided so if you want to listen to music listen to music if you don't want to listen to music don't listen to music um
1: but we also have to be careful what we're listening to and the lyrics if we're listening to songs and stuff.
0: If you want to listen to bad music or what people would call bad music, listen to bad music. It doesn't bother me. Uh, the important thing is <clears throat> that you are conscious and aware of what you're doing. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is going back to my coaching here. Um so we have to be aware of what we're doing. Aware of the reasons why we're doing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so for me going back to this in terms of music music was and for most people is a a second voice in a way. You know we have the voice that we're talking with right now. But if I was to start humming or whistling or singing or something, uh, I could be speaking in a different way. And it would convey a, a different meaning to it. And, you know, with speech in and of itself, when we're talking, particularly when we're talking about things like we've been talking about, (laughs) about coaching about philosophy psychology of coaching and things like that um we're talking about really deep intrinsic truths and realities and singing song music at its heart is trying to get to that type of thing too maybe not always you might have a kind of they call pop or fluff music sometimes the the stuff that's just out there for fun. Mm-hmm. Which, hey, if that's okay, if that's what you want to listen to, great. But like I said, remember, we have to be conscious. We have to be aware of what we're listening but to. But
1: also we have to be aware of what we let come into our ears, our eyes, well, our let, heart. Let me
0: finish. Okay. Let me finish. I'm, I'm not denying what you're saying, but that's kind of one of those things that I think is similar to the methods in, like, coaching and psychology um, where we're putting a Band-Aid over things. We're not actually addressing the heart of the issue. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So, for example, if we're listening to, like, some pop music song Mm -hmm. that's just about, oh, hey, let's just have fun or whatever. Yeah. Okay? If if our goal in listening to music is to have fun, to just uh, rejuvenate us or something, you know, a really good way to look at this is, like, when you're going to the gym. You got to get your tunes on. You got to get pumped up. You got to have your music on, really get you going. Is that a need or is that a desire? Mm
2: -hmm.
0: It's ultimately trying to put us in a particular state of being, right? Mm -hmm. We're we're trying to listen to this music in order to achieve a certain goal. And if we look at coaching with the model, with, with the paradigm This foundational principle I've been talking about, about how our experience comes through our awareness and our consciousness, we're creating that need right there. And we're using the music to try to fulfill that need. But the need itself is one that's been created. Mm -hmm. That inner state pre-exists that need. It's not created by it. So that's the important thing. So when you're looking at music and saying, Oh, well, I can or can't listen to or I should or shouldn't listen to such and such a music, well we're kind of bypassing that. We gotta co- we gotta go deeper. Um So like I said, the scholars of our religion, they they don't deny or affirm permissibility or impermissibility of music.
1: Well, there are differences of opinion. There's differences of opinion. Mm -hmm. Exactly.
0: So you can take it or leave it. Yeah. The importance is knowing that what you're doing, it's that awareness, it's that consciousness. The... What you're trying to get out of the music. Are you listening to the music in order to achieve a certain state? Then you probably... Going to or not going to get anything good from it. Mm -hmm. It's it's kind of up in the air because you're already lost track before you even started listening to the music. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. You've already lost track of what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. You've already lost track of the inner state of being that you already had. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. So, because
0: of that, I'm actually even more interested in music today Mm -hmm. because music can truly be a beautiful expression creation, just like anything. Mm -hmm. So I I actually think, and you know, there's a beautiful field that's kind of really starting to kick off called music therapy.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And I think that the creation of music itself, this is actually one that I've been interested in, and particularly, like, the communal creation of music. It's a really powerful area for people who have healed, who have transformed, to be able to come into a place where they're at liberty to express themselves. I mean, within Islam, this would be looked at as an act of worship. In most religions, you look at this in terms of an act of worship, and you obviously have to tailor it to the parameters of the religion, and so you have all sorts of different expressions of that in different religions. And Islam has its own perspective that's been there for a very long time. That's historical. We, we know that very well, um, and considering it's not one that is taught here often in the West, it's one that I'm eager to learn more about. So my experience and love for music, I think, is actually only just beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no idea where it's going, but I'm excited to see what all's going to happen from that. And that right there, there is actually cool because that's an insight that I personally have had. That's the goal of this show is to share insights. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, yeah, you, you've, you've hit on one there that I've had, not just in terms of coming to Islam Understanding these principles uh the principle mm-hmm. um but in terms of what that can do in terms of my life, um yeah, I feel more at liberty to create music now than I did before
2: mm-hmm.
0: i I don't know how that's gonna look yet, uh because I feel like I need to learn more of how it's been done in the past in terms of my faith uh but I'm really excited about that. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. This is the beautiful thing, is when you are at that state of peace, when you recognize that doing something in order to achieve that state isn't just unnecessary, it's unrelated to that goal,
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: then... What you do end up creating, what you do end up doing is going to be coming from a place of power. It's going to have a higher value content. And it's going to be more authentic, more authentically you and more authentically true. So it's beautiful. Yeah, that's
1: beautiful. Yeah. Well, Tim, it was a pleasure having you and interviewing you. Uh, Thank you so much for what you shared. And uh, thank you so much for being here.
0: Thank you. You've been listening to Sober Awakenings. Special thanks to Noha Zahar for interviewing me for this pilot episode. I will certainly be having her back on in the future to discuss her own journey and insights. You know, as I was re-listening to this episode in preparation for the podcast launch, it really amazed me how insights can just come to you at any time. This conversation that Noha and I had about music was one I had been struggling to express for so long, and the moment they're in the studio, it all just snapped together for me. Subhanallah. Inshallah. New episodes of Sober Awakenings will be available for you each month. Special thanks to KBO Portland for use of their recording studio space. This episode was recorded at KBO Portland, Production Room 3. Music was by Sound the Encounter. And our guest host today, Zahar. Sober Awakenings is a production of the Sakina Method of Recovery, and I'm your coach, Tim Brineke. May the peace and blessings of God be with you all. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi
2: wabarakatuh.